to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to another edition of I Communicate. Good to have you here with us today. And uh, I have a special guest today. She's awesome. But here's the deal about the special guest, okay? You know, you know, you know people and you learn new things about them every day. And what I didn't realize about this special guest, Juisa Perez, Senior Director of HR at the Family Health Center of Worcester, who, by the way, the governor today is going to be at the Family Health Center of Worcester. And, um, you know, the governor was specifically there to see Juisa, but Juisa knew the importance of the radio show. So she made an exception and made time. Just kidding. Um, but uh, all kidding aside, so I learned that Juisa went to UMass, uh, got, a, got her degree at UMass, and um, had a radio show called Latina Style at UMass. And so crazy that she did not continue her career in radio. Uh, and I also have learned that, that while Juisa was at UMass, she was there with the famous uh, Marcus Camby-led uh, basketball team. And in honor of the UMass hockey team winning the championship over the weekend, it's an exciting time for UMass and an exciting time for Juisa Perez to be on iCommunicate. So with that said, Juisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's nice to see you in this atmosphere. Oh, it's so good to have a fellow radio, uh, <laughs> <laughs> fellow radio interest. Um, but you miss, a, you miss a really integral part there. Okay. Because I told you about my Latina style yep. radio show. And then you asked me, when was the last time you were on the radio? <laughs> and then I said, 1998. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. No time like the present, though. Right, exactly. Um, so, Juisa, I got to start out by asking you, a Senior Director of HR, um, major healthcare facility in Worcester. Um, what what takes you down that path? I mean, and and I ask you, a because I'm interested to know your journey, but also because I work with a lot of HR executives and directors. It's a pretty thankless job. Yes. So, like, did you know that going in, and what yes. took you there in the first place? Well, remember, I had my education background, and being an educator is also a very thankless job. Sometimes. You get the, the instant satisfaction um, from the kids, but for the most part, you're a teacher and you start seeing students later on in life that thank you, but you work so hard every day and day in. Human resources, HR, is all about the human. And you're doing work and human resources. You're thinking about the organization and you're thinking about the human and you really have to make that match. And the thankless, I'm not there for the accolade. I'm also not there for... It's like um, you're there bigger than yourself, right? It's Family health center is also really special. Um, of course, I, I love human resources, and that's a great career choice, um, and that's a great place to be. But family health center, you're there for the community. It's in the main South community of Worcester. You have an at-promise neighborhood. You know that you're helping the community. I love seeing the patients come in. I don't interact with them as much as I would love to. But it is such a – it's so thankless, sure, but the everyday reward is being there. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy, uh, but it, it is really true because human resources is such a hard navigation. It's very hard to navigate this career, and being there is really helpful. Yeah, and you, you use the word. We were talking before the show that originally when you were in school, you, you sought being an activist in the entertainment industry. Yes. And as I've gotten to know you, uh, the word advocate, activist, comes up over and over again with you. It's such a, you know, piece of who you are. 
Does HR really, and I don't even mean just at the Family Health Center of Worcester, I, I just mean in general, does HR really give you the outlet mm-hmm. to advocate the Absolutely. way you'd like? Absolutely. When you are at that table, you know, you hear that saying that the women um, in the workforce need to bring themselves, bring their own chair, uh, come in through the window if the door is, you know, if the door isn't open for you in the in that boardroom. But the human resources is just that a good human resource practitioner is going to know how to advocate for the employees, especially during COVID. When this pandemic hit and I thought it was just going to be two weeks and here we are a year later. Um, I am there advocating for the moms. I'm advocating for the dads. I'm advocating for the families that need to be together, figure out a way to work from home. I realize that this is going to be a challenging time. We're talking about pay equity. We're looking at, you can't talk about pay equity and you talk about men and women for, I think now it rose to 89 cents for the man's dollar. Maybe I could be off a little, but if you're a black woman, it goes lower. If you're a Latina Mm. woman, it's 54 cents to a white man's dollar. I know all of that. I'm looking when people come into my office and they're looking for or need some advocacy. That's where I tell them. And I, I absolutely love that part of my job. So, yes, absolutely. So, Julissa, I think a lot these days about how hard it is to capture people's attention mm. and to engage them and to get them to the table, and to listen. And, and then once they're at the table listening, to act on what they're hearing, you know, and so on right. and so forth. So when you think about the role of HR I often talk about how when I'm brought into an organization to work with leadership, um, I need to, there needs to be a second piece to that. Like the leadership has to be engaged in supporting the work I'm doing. For you in HR, boy, I, how difficult is that to do your part and to, to advocate and to make the recommendations, but knowing that getting people to act on your recommendations, I mean, how hard is that? Very hard. You have to have back to human resources in that career, you have to have a strong sense of self too, as, a, as an individual. So me, myself, I've done a lot of work on myself throughout the years and have had different careers. So I have a strong sense of self. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, but that strong sense of self when I'm walking into the room is critical. You're not gonna win every, you're, you're gonna go to bat to as many employees as you can, to many groups of employees that you can if you're working with unions, if you're working in non-union type of atmosphere. You're gonna do the best that you can you're not going to win every single, not that it's winning or losing, but you're not going to be there and everyone's not going to go with your plan every single time. But the fact that you're talking about the plan and the fact that you're moving the plan in the right direction is really good for the employees and also for the organization. The organization doesn't see it the same way as human resources does. Um, The organizations that have, and you and I talk about this a lot, the organizations that have the head person, CEO or president, whatever you want to call it, they're putting their human resource senior leadership person right next to them, that is going to be a successful organization regardless, small or large. Um, it's when they have human resources as a second opinion or a second thought that the organizations aren't doing well or as well as they could. So, Julie, so from your own perspective, a couple of scenarios. One is getting a seat at that table, at that senior table, sitting next to the CEO, the CFO, whatever, You know, when you feel like you have the answer, you know what's going to make the difference. And we are a society, what I call an instant gratification society. Mm -hmm. So if we don't get what we want right away, we can tend to just give up and say, why bother? How do you balance that? I mean, you just mentioned a minute ago about, you know, you're not going to win them all. But how do you balance your confidence and motivation around 
that messaging and those actions? How do you balance that? I don't know. Some days better than others, but it definitely, I have this um, with my other professional colleagues. We talk about the, I told you so dance. I told you so. I told you so. You want to have a little, I told you so dance. You want to be able to sit back and keep record in your own mind. You want to be able to think about what it is that you really want to get across. And maybe it not, might not be in that one specific way, but what is your vision for the organization? And how are you partnering up with the benchmarks of the organization? And a lot of times people do come back and say, okay, maybe we should have done it this way. And then you say, I told you so. I told you so. In, internal monologues, sure. But in you and you work towards that. I don't know if I'm... Let's see if I'm answering your question right, but what, I, what I'm trying to portray is that you have so many opportunities. You're making these opportunities for yourself, and so you want to make sure that they're listening, that they're there, and just because they don't follow it the exact same way, that you're part of the solution for whatever that might be. You might not be Juisa's idea, but maybe it's Mark's idea, so how are we going to get together? And not that it has to be the person's idea, yeah, but you know I what what you're one saying. or two idea, idea yeah. one or idea two. So the one, one of the things that, look, I'm, I'm a white male, I'm Jewish, but I'm a white male. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that really the pandemic and a lot of the challenges this, our world has had in the last year is this concept of inclusivity. And I'm, I, the more I become familiar with inclusivity, the thing that kind of boggles my mind is people feel very threatened. Mm. You know, it's why why do... Why do the the majorities feel so threatened? Like the minorities aren't asking for anything more than the majorities have, but yet the majorities feel so threatened. Why do they feel so threatened? Yeah, it's power. It's the way, and it's it's power, and it's um, I've heard tradition. I've heard um, just this bias within everybody. So there really is this thought that someone is in a position just because of their work ethic. That's not all that goes into it. Um, I don't know if you heard The View talking. Did you ever watch The View? I do. And I wouldn't (laughs) admit it on the air, even if I did. I'm just saying that. And I was going to say, who has time to say? Okay, I don't have time to sit and watch The View. However, there was this um, snippet, of course, of Meghan McCain talking about um, exactly what you're talking about and, and really talking about it's about inclusivity. It's about equity. And when you're talking about equitable um, uh, opportunities and ways people can get on TV or get on the radio or ways in which they can have their voice heard, which is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's about people's experience. I don't want to speak for all Latina women, but I do want to tell my story and how I am where I am and, and how my culture plays a huge role in it. And coming on this radio station is a great opportunity to do that. Well, Megan McCain was talking about she doesn't want to make sure she wants to make sure everyone is there when they have the exact qualifications. But her father was a senator. So who's to say that she didn't have open doors Mm, for her just because of her last name? Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, we're going to continue to talk with Juisa Perez, uh, Senior Director of HR at the Family Health Center of Worcester. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break.
Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Back to I Communicate. Uh, Mark Altman here with Juiza Perez. And, you know, Juiza asked me in the last segment if I watched The View. And like I said, <laughs> needless to say, I would never admit that over the year, even if I did. But you're going to go home and watch But it. I have to tell you, Juiza, <laughs> I was having a conversation with someone several months ago, and they said to me, um, they said, do you like the group Air Supply? And I went, is this a trick question? Because I don't know what I'm admitting here. I mean, I do like them a little bit, but I'm not sure what I want to admit here. So it reminded me of that. <laughs> so anyway, Julie, I want to get back to inclusion. And, um, and you know, uh, uh, diversity and inclusion initiatives at, at uh, companies, profits, nonprofits uh, are, is becoming a big deal. And, you know, I, I want to cut right to the chase. When people invest in development, organizational development, um, you know, in my world, as a trainer, as a consultant, I'm getting like, what's the ROI? Like, what are yes. we going to get for this? Whatever. So with diversity and inclusion, for all the executives out there going, yeah, you know, I know it's probably something we should do. It's kind of important. What What are they missing from an ROI perspective? Forget the other obvious things for a minute. What, what's the ROI to diversity and inclusion training? Everything. It improves your, it lowers your turnover rate. Regardless, if people feel included, people don't leave um, jobs, they leave people. And if they don't feel as though they're being heard, and sometimes they can't articulate it themselves. That's why we have employee resource groups. That's why we have these places where people can feel like they can be themselves and talk. And the best thing in the world is going into work as your best self. You're going to have higher productivity. People talk a lot about these eight-hour days, these... um, a lot of the work sometimes can be done in three days. Sometimes it can be done in, in four days. And now there's this movement to have these three-day weekends because what's really happening is, is that people can get the work done. When you have a diversity of thought, when you have a diversity of um, backgrounds and diverse backgrounds, I love that sometimes when people look at um, education, they sometimes think, well, maybe someone from the business world can come in and can assist when we're looking at healthcare, maybe someone from the private sector can come in. It's a diversity of thought. Their background is different. So, of course, we're going to be able to expand. I know in my career, because I was in education for so long, I worked with grants, I worked with students, I worked with learning and development with teachers. Now I get to do that in the health field. And my background is is great for this. Um, it's a non-traditional way to get into the, the medical field, and it's a non-traditional way to get into human resources. But my background is I see the transferable skills that's going in there. Being bilingual, you can reach more people. When I'm on the phone and I can talk to people, being bicultural, when you can understand someone's culture, I might not know everything about the Jewish faith, but when someone comes over to me and says something about the Jewish culture, I think to myself, okay, that's now something else I'm going to learn, and it's something true. When you're coming in and everything looks and feels and acts the same way, then that's where, you're, that's where your business is going to stay, and your profit isn't going to go any further. It is when you, and it has to be intentional. It has to be careful. It has to be intentional. This is a business plan. It's not a feel good. You don't doing it because you want to be nice. It's that's not what diversity and inclusion is. It really is mm. if you want to help 
a community do better. If you want to help your business reach more people, then you're going to go into the Latino market. You're going to go into the African-American market. You're going to understand what I mean by market is, you know, that when you're marketing to them, when you're thinking about what kind of cars, if you're only thinking, every business person will say this. Every business person will say they they have these niche, these markets. I'm going to go to 25 to 30. That's the, that's the group that I want to focus on. That's great. Imagine doing that with all the different populations of people that you are going to hit more customers. So the ROI is threefold. You're going to have so much more business and then you're going to be able to keep your business. Well, you got my head spinning in a few different ways, Julie. That's great. One one of them (laughs) is I think with diversity inclusion programs, companies that are doing them, I think it's a pacification mindset, right? So, all right, we... You know, we should probably do this, you know, as opposed to a developmental mindset, right? right. So that's big. I hadn't thought of that. That's big. And it's that growth mindset that right, you talk right, about too, right? right? You're, it is. You're not just filling a seat to be, okay, so DNI, right? And then these wonderful, amazing, talented DNI practitioners who are out there who have degrees in this and really know how to do it, they're getting burnt out too. Because they're also coming in to not having the support. There's no budget attached to it. They put their name on there. They have the title and the business keeps going as usual. So, yes, it has to be thought of and everyone needs to be a part of it. It's not just we hired this person to do this work and then they're going to be working on a silo all by themselves. Well, not to mention the fact that we, we alluded to it in our first segment. You know, you're talking about fear, right? So mm. when you're doing diversity and equity, you know, equity inclusion stuff, the first barrier is can you get people to detach from their emotions? Before you even educate and teach them how to be more inclusive, you've right. got to get them through the barrier of fears that they have. And that's not something that you, you don't change people's fears in four hours or eight hours. It takes time. It so, takes and it's it's intentional time. Yeah. You know, back to I, I had said something earlier about wanting to make sure that you're right, that power and the release of power and there's that fear mm-hmm. of the release of power. Um, you know, You have kids, I have kids, and we always try and teach them how to share. It's really also about sharing the power, and and it doesn't have to be a one. But our our capitalist society is kind of built that way, too. So it's a challenge on so many ways. I mean, we have have Bill Gates, uh, who's trying to save the world, right, literally going to other countries and trying to get free water and and good, I'm sorry, clean water, not free water, clean water. And that's he's trying to save the world. Then he comes back here, and he's definitely in that capitalistic mode of trying to be like, okay, how much more can I yeah. make? Yep. And and that's that's huge. And all of that is about diversity and inclusion because you're putting a people who have different opinions and different thoughts coming in all together. Okay. All right. Uh, so we have a caller and uh, it looks like it's Matt from Missouri. Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. How are you, sir? Good, Matt. How are you? I'm uh, fantastic. Um, I just need to make a couple quick points. Sure. Um, I'm also a UMass grad. Yay! And um, yes, and, and Mark, I'm a little disappointed in your lack of respect for the zoo. You forgot the 1998 National Football Champions. Oh, jeez, oh, that's true. <laughs> that's good um, stuff. <laughs> also, as a Massachusetts person, you're obviously you're obviously mispronouncing Worcester. You're pronouncing the R. That that is verbose. <laughs> so. Thanks on, for the corrections. My, my pleasure. It, and not you, just Mark. This is entirely <laughs> Mark's fault. That's great. Okay, so I had a couple things. A couple thoughts. Um, one, uh, the great show so far. I, I actually love it. Um, there was, 
there was something you brought up at the beginning of the show that, that kind of piqued my interest. Um, as I, I, I think it was Mark, you said, uh, about a fear of diversity. And I don't know a fear, and, and I'm going to full, full disclosure, I am a middle-aged white male. So I think, I don't think fear is necessarily the right way to describe it for some people. I mean, there are some people that obviously do not want the old world order to change. However, people like myself or other people, we, like everybody else, and especially people of color, minorities, etc., also just want to be judged on merit. Um, and I guess my question is, is when you hire for diversity and inclusion, sometimes – Merit may be pushed to the side. Now, we all say, hey, we want the very best person and and, in. But they're not necessarily always the same thing. And in a a perfect world, we'll all be colorblind. We'll all hire on merit. Where where do you draw the line? Um, So, for example, I I will 100% agree with you that, say, in a sales force or marketing or things like that, you absolutely want diversity. You need people with that different upbringing, um, the different viewpoints. Um, but the, how does that help like an engineer or a chemist or something like that? How does being a person of color or, uh, you know, uh, any other type of minority help in that field? Well, Thank you. Well, so Matt, let me just, before I give Juisa a chance to respond to this, and let me just ask you one quick question. Then, if you don't mind, we're going to go to break, and if you don't mind hanging around. The, the question I want to ask you is, are you inferring that, when you say not necessarily hired based on merit, are you inferring that if a minority was going up against a white male, for an example, are you inferring that the minority might get the edge even though they wouldn't necessarily deserve it because they're a minority. Is that what you're inferring? Well, I guess my question is, is that I'm not inferring. I guess I'm more asking. Okay. That's fair. Because, because for example, for example, to get in, you know, there's a lawsuit, another lawsuit going to the Supreme court about uh, Asian discrimination in higher education. And it's been shown that Asians need to to score significantly higher uh, than other ethnic groups to get into the same schools. And, and I guess my question is, is who tells that Asian kid? Who goes into the, tells that Asian kid, hey, I know you're vastly qualified to get here, but we need okay. a balanced roster. All right, Matt, so hang on the show. Uh, we're going to yes, go to sir. break, and uh, we'll have Juisa respond after the break. Thanks for the call, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you shortly. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome back to I Communicate. I'm here with Juisa Perez, Senior Director of HR for the Family Health Center of Worcester. 
and uh, former uh, radio show host extraordinaire of Latina style. I mean, I need to bring that up one more 1997, time. 1997. 1997. Huge, huge deal. Um, going back to her roots. So, uh, <clears throat> so uh, Julie, I'd love for you to give your thoughts to Matt's uh, what Matt's comments prior to the break. Hi, Matt, um, and, and everyone else listening. I think this is great. I really appreciate um, the sincerity of what you're asking, I, and I think that is really important. Here's, here's my first initial thought, and I'm glad that Mark started off with some clarification. Um, the reality is, is we need to make sure that everyone is at the table. And what I mean by the table is either the boardroom or an organization. And so you want to have the most qualified person, and that's it. And in having the most qualified person, you're looking at their background and you want to make sure that um, they're up for the job and the job, regardless if they're a chemist or regardless if they're an engineer, and you're hi- you are hiring the most qualified person. So I think we're on the same wavelength. I think maybe you're just, there's just assumptions sometimes made when you do have people of color on the same board and, and people are wondering how they all got there. They all got there on the same merits. And that's what we're okay. making sure we're looking at. Thank you for that. Thank you for that honest answer. And- I, I have found that this is a difficult topic for a lot of people. Yes, to talk it is. About. Yes, it and, is. And it's a, and, you know, tensions get high. And, and, and I do. I think we're on the same page. Um, I, I guess, you know, that was actually a wonderful answer. I don't even have anything. To, that, was, <laughs> that was a great answer. But I guess, I guess what I, would, I have found, and I say, and, and this is a very small portion, is that there are some people, and again, this is a small portion, that are willing to tr- make that trade off, um, and and like I said, it's a small print, and and I guess that's where my confusion comes in, and and I don't know if I don't know if I had mentioned this before, but you know, every ethnic group uh, or, or sexual orientation or whatever group you want to say, there are a million and one different subsets in between in all those groups. Sure, not all. African American women are, you know, liberal. Some are conservative. Not all white men are conservative. You know, there's a million and one right. different subsets in in every different group. Um, and I think we tend, as a society, to group people together by in one large subset without realizing, you know, the diversity of thought that there is. Right. Well, all of us. Well, so Matt, so you know, it's interesting. You, you know, you bring up a couple points. One of the things Juice and I were talking about at the break was, you know, and Matt, you know, I'm a big proponent of emotional intelligence, and I'm going to make an analogy. Yeah. And the analogy is that when we feel wronged, disappointed, let down by other human beings, we often default to a negative intent. You know, right. that there was some kind of malicious behavior. And what boggles my mind is that I think there's a a large faction of people out there that when a minority uh, is hired or in a position, that there's a default, well, oh, they just got there because they're a minority. And there's affirmative action. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark, I agree. So it just feels like why do we just default to the negative and just play into that when, and, and, and Matt, as you said, you know, look, I, I'm sure there are hires out there um, either way, whether it's yep. a, a white hire or a minority hire yep. where they're not the most meritorious candidate. Yep. So I'm sure it happens both ways. So, but the point is, why are we defaulting to the negative, I guess? Can I, can I give you my theory? 
I think as a, I don't know, a country, a society, or whatever, we're not, for lack of a better, evolved enough yet. <laughs> I agree. We're, it's, not, it's not enough of an everyday occurrence. Because let's be realistic, we're only 50 years into the civil rights movement, and it's been a rough 50 years. Um, it, we're not, I don't, I just don't think as a society and a culture where, you, where it's enough of an everyday occurrence. Um, I'll give you, for, for an example, growing up as, you know, a young male, I had no idea. I had no idea what homosexual people were like. It was just an unknown. Until I got into college and met a whole bunch of them, realized they're just like you and I. There's no, there's absolutely no difference. It's, there, there's a saying for it that it, that's, that's eluding me not right now, but it's essentially, you know, once you see them and, and get them, it, it brings comfort. Yeah, I, there's a saying I just, I can't figure out, but, you know, it's essentially, I just don't think we see it enough. And that's just something that's going to take a little more time and effort to where we don't bat an eye to seeing a Hispanic CEO. Yep. Well, or, Matt, yes, sir. Yeah. Well, no, thank you for the call. Appreciate your input. Yeah. And Juisa, I guess, you know, I want to go to you on this. And I think there's a faction when someone says um, Latina women, black, Hispanic, excuse me. Um, African-American people, women in general, aren't getting the same opportunities and rights. I don't really think, I think there's a lot of people out there going, huh, I don't really believe that's true. Like, what? Yeah. what is it, like, how do we get people to the table? How do we get the non-believers and the doubters, besides throwing statistics at them, how do we get them to the table to understand this is real? Get who to the table? Get to the, get the... The boards to the table. Yeah, the boards. Right? The Why people, is it the people who are responsible and can impact change? Yes, the people in power. Yeah, people. And in power. And you know what's interesting? What Matt just said too is that he wants to be able to see this society um, where you're not um, batting an eye when you see, you know, a Latino CEO or a Latina president or whichever, and it's not really batting an eye. Um, it it's really complex. It's really complicated. I'm glad you brought up the civil rights. This is, um, you know, it's historic. You know, colorism, racism, all of that is historic. It's all into our psyche. And I, I really appreciated Matt's story about um, learning and growing about the LGBTQ community, too, and, and how that all works. Um, how do you bring someone to the table? They, people have to be invited. People have to feel welcome. There are plenty of opportunities. My, myself, if I'm walking into a room or I'm being invited somewhere, I don't want to be known for just a Latina. I don't want to be known for just a woman. Right, that's key. I don't, yeah, so you don't that's want to key. be the only one that you're being invited to the table. Yeah. You have to create an actual culture where people are being welcomed and they're having that, that sense of belonging. So there's this saying also, um, being invited to the dance is diversity. Dancing is inclusion. Hmm. Planning the dance is belonging. So... Hmm. You have all of those aspects, this diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And it's really complex. And there's so many people that have their own ways. And, and I, you know, you being a white male and um, the caller who expressed and, and um, said that he was a white male, a, a lot of these 
it, come, it does come from a sense of privilege because there isn't this understanding of what it's like. I have been asked myself, you know, and I, I'm going to ask you, Mark, have you ever been at a bar and someone came over to you and says, were you born in this country? Has anyone ever asked you that? No. No. So you can sit at a bar and not be asked this question. I was at a bar and a gentleman came over to me and asked to see my card and asked to, asked oh. if I was born there. And I remember thinking to myself, I am sitting, enjoying, and purchasing a, a drink at this bar. So people's experiences are different. Now, um, you and you have had a wonderful career, a successful, wildly successful career. At least I tell myself that. <laughs> I'll tell you too. Wildly okay, successful. Great. Now, has, everyone, has anyone ever said to you, how did you get this job? Did you, do you know someone? Or does anyone ever question that about you? Are you there for... I have been at jobs, numerous jobs in all different careers, because this is, you know, my third <laughs> career. And in every place, how'd you get here? Why is that question phrased to me? Mm -hmm. um, I have been told they'll look at my name. And um, when I had my headshots, th those are fun pictures for me to show you at some point, too. Those are hilarious back in my teen years. And um, I had someone say to me, no, no one is ever going to hire you. You have to change your name to Julie Perry. You know, uh, has anyone ever said that to you, Mark, no. that you should change your name? Right. No. So this is these are my solely my experiences. I'm not saying every Latina goes through this, but these are my experiences being born and raised here. I was also out. Um, there was this new event that was coming up in, and, and I really like to uh, um, support local businesses. And I was sitting there and I do. I'm a professional and I, I carry myself that way. And someone came over to me and said, I'm shocked your English is so well. You're so well spoken. Why is that a shock? <laughs> right? So when you're talking uh -huh. about equity and when you're talking about it, it, people's experiences, it is hard um, for you to imagine it, right? Um, but we experience it and we go through. But hence, there is a difference. You know, my skin tone, I am certainly a white Latina. And so there is a big difference between my friends who are considered black Latinas, who are more Afro and have more African-American. Um, their experiences are totally different from mine as well. You know, so the point is, is we really are looking at all of that when you're in the workforce, too. And, and when you're talking about bringing people at the table, we're talking about all different experiences that are yeah. there. A great point. So, okay, we're going to come back for our final segment of the show. For Juisa Perez, I am Mark Altman for I Communicate. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. Here we are talking with Juisa Perez about uh, a little HR, a little diversity inclusion. Talking about life, the importance. Life stuff. <laughs> so, Juisa, I'd like to go back to where we were in the second segment about ROI for diversity inclusion, because I have a point I want to make, and I want to get your take on it. You know, this word attribution, whether it's getting credit or giving blame, it's always kind of a slippery slope about attribution. And when I think of the concept in HR of an exit interview, so play mm. this out, right? You're having an exit interview, and I'm just going to really quickly throw out things you might hear in an exit interview, and you tell me if I'm on the right track, Got right? It. Yep. Maybe I didn't like the people I work with. 
Maybe I didn't like my boss. Maybe I didn't feel challenged. Maybe I wasn't passionate about the, the purpose and the vision of the, right? All things you may hear, right, in an exit interview. But how many people in an exit interview are saying, I mean, and, and I mean these exact words, Juisa, are saying, you know what? Boy, we really lacked inclusion here. Mm-hmm. Using the word inclusion. And I think that the point I'm, I want to ask you about and I'm making is when you're attributing why your engagement level is down in an organization, why you're struggling with retention, these key organizational issues, productivity. I mean, that fits in there to an extent as well. How do you attribute, like, unless you hear the exact words of inclusion, when you're sitting in front of your bosses and they say, well, Joisa, give us a report. What, like, how, do you get where I'm going with this? How yeah. do you make that tie-in? Well, I actually do get some people saying they didn't feel comfortable. I do get some people saying, I didn't feel comfortable. I wasn't appreciated. Um, we had an a intelligent, incredible um, young woman who said, you don't have a prayer room. I pray, I pray every day at mm. noon, and I feel uncomfortable. And I said, is that the only reason you're leaving? We can try to work something out. She just said, it's too late. It's, I have asked my supervisor. I had asked. Now, I, as the HR director, director, I didn't hear these asks. So, of course, I want to support. So that is an actual inclusion. We missed out on an opportunity because she wasn't able to pray. All right, Susan, so we're going to go right into role play here, okay? I love role so play. So I'm going, to, I'm, going to be the, I'm going to be the <laughs> uh, the executive or CEO or whatever. You just told me about this prayer room, that the feedback you got. Yes. And I look at you, and I don't think this is a far-fetched response. You tell me if it is. Juisa, I totally get it. I mean, I, I wish I wish we could have a prayer room, Juisa. And frankly, if we were to make exceptions for everybody who has these individual preferences, I mean, oh, we'd have to buy a lot more space. Like, how could we do it? So, Juisa, A, is that a really far-fetched response? And B, what do you say to that? Yeah, it's not far-fetched. And I'm actually working on something of that case right now. Okay. Um, uh, Call it um, a room. We need a room for people to feel comfortable. We have breastfeeding moms mm. that we also need. So there has to be this room where and it's not a break room that is specific for food, but there is a room. So we are going to redesign some things. It is um, we have to look at the ROI. I always get asked this month how many people left. And in this month, what happened and what was the what was their feedback? So would they do it for just one person? Um, no, but you're tying it all in, and that's why I tied in my breastfeeding moms. Because it's everybody. Well, it's a great point you're making, too. It's also reading between the lines because the original prayer room for breastfeeding, for yoga, for meditation, for relaxation, meditation, it, yes. it, it, it could go on and on. But but if the initial reaction is closed off to, well, we, if we do this for one person, we're going to do this right. for everybody. So how do you how do you bring if 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 diversity and inclusion is not the typical words used on a frequent basis for retention and engagement issues, part of your challenge, and this brings us to where we started the show today, is you've got to kind of tie everything together where it might not be those exact words, but there's symptoms and consequences that tie into those words, right? right? And it's all, it's all um, money. We, we taking apart and doing a turnover cost, you and I have worked on that, um, for every medical assistant in our organization, or um, we call it entry-level position. So let's take out the word medical assistant. But for an entry-level position, $15, $16, $17 an hour, um, you lose, for the retention, you lose $15,000 
um, and trying to ramp up and get someone else. So if a prayer room can reduce that and can reduce, and, and I, I shouldn't call it a prayer room, we're going to call it something else. Yeah, whatever. And you call it a space where people feel like they can be themselves or do whatever it is that they need to do um, in privacy, then the retention rate is going to go down. So you're going to take that $15,000 and you're going to bring that down. And that's what you're going to talk to your high executives. You, they need to know the ROI from the beginning. I don't know I don't know every CEO on this planet, but I don't think that they're all, they're just not warm and fuzzy. It's just they don't get there because they're always thinking about ways to make everybody feel inclusive. That is our job. We're in human resources because we love the human, and then we're tying those things in there together. So diversity inclusion is not about the warm and fuzzy feeling and inviting everyone to the party. It's really more about the planning and putting it all together so that then you have the business need for it all. Well, and one other point I want to get to, Julissa, you and I talked at the break about we hire people that are like us, that we're comfortable with, right? Yes. And so when I think of if if someone looks at you in an exit interview and says, I wasn't particularly comfortable with the people that I work with, I didn't enjoy the people I work with, well, that could go in a hundred different directions, right? And one of them could be um, there weren't like-minded or like philosophically similar, uh, culturally similar individuals. And so, again, you have to kind of weed out the expansion of the actual reason, right? Yeah. Yeah, but um, I think of it more as in when we talk about diversity, inclusion, talk about equity and talk about appreciation of that, too. So you could have everyone in that everyone in a group who looks like, acts alike, thinks alike, and then someone still not feel like they're appreciated. That's they still true. weren't heard. Um, So you're really asking them about that. And that's where we are making sure that people are bringing them best selves into into the workplace. So so what do we do, though, with the mindset of people? Like I said, with the prayer room, it's also, you know, it's a pacification mindset. Oh, well, I guess we have to do this and I guess we have to do that. How do you put a dent in that thought process? You're talking totally shifting mindsets now. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're the expert on that. And what I've learned is is that it definitely takes time. And it definitely is a, is a secure sense of self, too, that this you're not going to let this up. You're not going to let this go. Um, before, when you're talking about um, hiring people who look like you, act like you, that's a bias, right? And we all have our bias. And you had mentioned earlier, conscious or unconscious bias. And um, working through all of that is just going to take time. And, and I'm a planner. You really have to plan and benchmarks are essential. If you really want to diversify your workforce, you want them to feel included. You want them to feel as though belonging. We're right here in Worcester. We have one of the most um, amazing practitioners for diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and that's Dr. Plummer, who was at UMass. She has since retired. She wrote a book on exactly that. It's a roadmap. And it's, you know, you're going to interpret it differently than I'm going to interpret it. But it's so important for us to manage that as a true um, stake in the ground. It is not something that's just coming and going. And you develop it and you say, in 10 years, I want it to look this way. And what is my, you know, you're backward designing it. And then you're saying, in five years, I want it to look this way. In three years, I want it to look this way. Exit interviews, stay interviews, right, entrance stay interviews, those are so important. And it's all part of making sure that you, as the HR professional, understand the humans that are in your building and then you can understand and you can help the senior executive levels understand then how to make a profit i mean 
we're all in this to make a living, make the money, and be successful. We don't have to be in it for billions of dollars. I'm not looking to be on the billionaire list. Yep. But we definitely want to make sure that we're making an impact and saying what it is that we want to do. If you want to reach out a community, if you want to reach in the Worcester community, diversity and inclusion has to be part of your part of your goal. All right, Julius, I got a whopper of a question to finish the show with you today. Great. And I want to see if I'm going to articulate this the right way. So you have two choices. You can take a job where um, it is not a very diverse population where you would work um, versus a job where there is a very diverse population. And let's just go on the premise in these two options that there's, there's apples to apples as far as the vision of the organization and a lot of the peripheral stuff is apples to apples. Would you lean towards, and I think you see where I'm going with this, would you lean towards the non-diverse population because there's an opportunity to create change and really shift a mindset? Or do you think you may go to your comfort level? Mm. Interesting yeah. question, right? That's a great question. And you ask yourself this, are you talking to my 25-year-old self? Or are you talking to the 43-year-old Juisa Perez, right? Either one, um, it'd be a different answer. So my 25-year-old self would have wanted to go and make a change and be in that mono lingual, monocultural. Um, today, uh, that the world of diversity and inclusion is exhausting. And so I would, and you chose an interesting word of comfort. I don't see it as comfort. Mm. I would go into the div more diverse population because I would feel as though I can fit in. The best part in my career now at this stage in the game is that I can go to work and I can speak Spanish and I can speak English. And they can understand me. They don't. Some don't. Some of my colleagues want to learn Spanish. I speak in the Spanglish, and that's a beautiful. That's thing. That's really cool. And that's about me. That's, that's where great. I'm at right now. That's great. Well, so you know, Julissa. Bottom line is uh, whether it's the role of HR in an organization, whether it's the challenges related to diversity and inclusion, whether it's your ability to impact change, uh, motivate and influence others, whether it's whether it's the ability to sh help shift people's mindsets and get them just to become a little more open-minded, um, it's it's a lot of responsibility there in that bucket. And so. lucky for you, I love my job. So mm -hmm. always enough material. Yes. Well, thank you for joining the show. Appreciate <laughs> having you on the show. And uh, so thanks to Juisa Perez of the Family Health Center of Worcester. For I Communicate, I am Mark Altman. Jake, thanks for running the board today. Good job. Thanks, Jake. Nope, no problem. Yep. Good to get some some experience in, for sure. Outstanding. And uh, all right, so please join us for another edition of I Communicate. For more information from Mindset Go, it's 978-793-1159 or email info at mindsetgo.com. Have a wonderful day. listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.